This is Connected by Nutritia, a podcast brought to you by Nutritia Ireland and designed for healthcare professionals only. Hello, my name is Amy Megan and this is the Connected by Nutritia podcast. On today's episode, we're talking about food and mood, focusing on dietary patterns that promote positive mental health and also considering what impact our social interactions have on our mood. My final year thesis just so happened to be on this exact topic, so I'm really excited today to get to interview registered dietitian Maria Lucy on this exact topic and how this topic also ties in with Maria's volunteering work with Alone. Welcome to the podcast, Maria. Thank you, Amy. I'm delighted to be here. Maria, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself, like how you got into dietetics and what was it that drew you to this really exciting area of food and mood? Yeah, um, so I'm at the moment I am the dietetic team lead and senior dietitian for the Nutrition Care team, which is a bit of a mouthful, um, and I do some freelance private dietetic work as well. And I suppose how I got into dietetics in the first place, um, I was always very into sport when I was younger and I played with the Cork ladies football team. And one evening we had a nutritionist come in and chat to us about what we should be eating before matches and before training and so on. And I was just fascinated by everything that he had to tell us. Um, So from there, I was going to do nutritional science in UCC because I did not know what a dietitian was. I had never heard of it before. Um, Like I think many many of us uh, would have been in a similar boat. Um, But then one evening, my dad actually turned around and he said that he was after finding this course uh, on the internet about dietetics. um, And we started to look into it and I very quickly realised it was exactly what I wanted to do, ticked all of my boxes. I loved the the science part and the clinical part as well. Um, So from there, then I just put my head down and got to work for my leaving cert and I got into dietetics, which was great. From there then, I suppose how I moved into um, having this interest in food and mood and the relationship between what we eat and our mental health. I suppose really I've worked in hospitals, I've worked in the community. I got to go to Uganda actually a couple of years ago and work in a hospital out there for a number of weeks. Um, But the common theme that I have always found, whether I am working with young people or if I'm working with the elderly is that we really don't have any health without having our mental health and that being able to enjoy life and look forward to the future um, is so important and that how we eat can play such a strong role in how we feel and I suppose what's great Amy is that when we do start to eat better we feel the difference almost immediately um, so I think that's really where my interest in mental health and has kind of stemmed for. And I suppose now that we have the research, the research supporting this relationship between food and mood now is fantastic. Um, but then I suppose this year I have started training as well as an intuitive eating counsellor because it's not just as simple as what we are eating, but why we are eating as well. Mm-hmm. And the intuitive eating principles, they're really centered around I suppose helping people heal their relationship with food and body image and I think uh, we we have an obesity problem in Ireland but we also have a lot of disordered eating so it's something that I've been finding very useful in my practice as well so far. Brilliant so you've uh, 
Yeah, you've gotten loads of experience in in your short time, relatively speaking, as a dietitian and really interesting <laughs> about um, the whole area of intuitive eating as well. And we have discussed with Emro Driscoll as well that topic on the podcast. So it's um, really up and coming these days. So I had mm-hmm. a little, uh, doing my little bit of research before coming on here, and I had a quick search on PubMed, just searching the topics food and mood. And the body of research is really growing, which examines this link. And there's currently over 56,000 hits on that topic. So it's huge and it's only going to keep growing. Have you got any papers, mm-hmm. Maria, that you've read and looked at that focus on specific nutrients and um, their impact on mood? Or should we as healthcare professionals be recommending a more holistic approach to managing um, mental health and well-being? So should we be looking more at dietary patterns as opposed to specific vitamins or minerals? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Amy. So I think really there's no magic pill. There's no magic nutrient. What is most important is our pattern of eating and the quality of our diet over time. And I suppose diet, it's one aspect of both our physical and our mental health, but we do need to always look at the person as a whole. But it's certainly a very useful adjunct to current uh, treatments in the area of mental health. And it's something that is modifiable as well when you think about the the risk factors for mental illness. But I, I suppose what I find is that when you do start to focus on someone's diet and you start to help somebody eat better, they then have a lot more energy. And with more energy, there's more motivation and more motivation then helps people to continue things like maybe getting out for a walk or cooking a home cooked meal or meeting other people. So I suppose really they're all interlinked in one way, but the research, um, I didn't realise there was that many studies. That's that's great. Um, but the, the research really, it suggests the overall passion of food. So the, the whole diet approach, which is quite new because a lot of research would have previously focused on single nutrients like omega-3s or B vitamins, but we don't eat single nutrients. We eat yeah. food, so we don't eat vitamin C, we eat an orange. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, the research is really pointing towards the traditional dietary patterns like the Mediterranean diet. So your your whole food diet with lots of fruit, veg, oily fish, olive oil, um, nuts and seeds. And what it's showing is that it's a direct dose response relationship. So the more you adhere to this kind of a dietary pattern, the better your mood. And then on the other side of the scale, a Western diet, so characterized by a lot of ultra processed uh, Mm -hmm. foods, is associated then with an increased likelihood of developing depression. So if you make a change to increase both your nutritious foods and to decrease your intake of processed food, you'll see a benefit from both sides. Um, So there's a lot of uh, observational research now linking these dietary patterns to our mood. And in particular, it's in a way that isn't explained by all these other factors like somebody's education or somebody's income or how much exercise they do. But when it comes to uh, research um, and particular studies, Amy, I suppose up until around 2017, there was very little intervention studies on the topic. And Mm -hmm. we know that correlation, it doesn't always equal causation. So we really need to be doing intervention trials when we can. So um, there's a professor, Dr. Felice Jacka in Australia, and she's done a huge amount of work into looking into this relationship between food and our mood. And they carried out the SMILES trial. 
-hmm. And this, this was a great trial because it showed for the first time that improving diet quality can treat major depression. So in the study, what they did was they had a group of 67 adults with clinical depression and they were recruited and assigned then to either receive support from a dietitian for three months. And then the control group was a social support group because we know that the reduction in the isolation alone could have had an impact on their mental well-being. Um, and this this was fantastic. The the dietary groups, so they received assistance from a dietitian with a focus again on this Mediterranean style of eating. But the advice that they were given was really accessible um, and affordable. So there was, the dietitians were recommending things like tinned beans, tinned fish, microwavable packets of whole grain rice and whole grain biscuits. And I think this is really important because as a healthcare professional, if you're treating somebody with low mood, their motivation is likely to also be low. So our, our interventions need to be really accessible. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And then what was also really interesting was the the dietary intervention. It was also designed as a behavioral change intervention. So there was a substantial amount of nutritional counseling. So they were uh, using skills like motivational interviewing and goal setting with the clients and focusing a lot on mindful eating and mindfulness as well. Yeah. And the the results, Amy, were were fascinating. So they showed that one third of the participants in the dietary group went into full clinical remission and almost everybody reduced their symptoms compared to 8% then in the social support group. Wow, and that's the mad, results, isn't it? yeah, it's, it's really, really, um, it's really important. And the results as well, Amy, they were not explained by changes in physical activity or body weight, but they were closely related to the extent of the dietary change that people made. Mm-hmm. And the craziest thing is that the participants, they still didn't get anywhere close to following the prescribed diet. Yeah. But those, those who adhered more closely to the dietary program, they experienced the, uh, the greatest benefits to their depressive symptoms. Yeah. God, that's so fascinating. It really goes to show the impact of like small little changes really do add up over time, don't they? Yeah. And I think I think as well, if you're treating depression or low mood using a dietary approach, you are then also going to be benefiting the health of that entire person. Exactly. And yeah, and then I suppose because the risk factors for depression are things like obesity and heart disease and diabetes and depression is also a risk factor for. So I think using the the dietary approach as an adjunct maybe to, to treatments is, is a great route to be going down. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, Maria. And what you've kind of highlighted there is just how multifactorial mental health is. Like there's so many components feeding into it and mm-hmm. therefore so many different avenues that you can approach to try and mend that relationship that a person has with themselves and the importance of a multidisciplinary team as well so it's not just a counsellor and it's not just a dietitian it's kind of the person getting help from different sides as well to really get the most benefit so so interesting Mm -hmm. yeah and as well as that actually Amy um, what was really interesting as well was they did an economic evaluation of the intervention so they showed that um, per individual they saved around three thousand Australian dollars by saving money with regards 
healthcare costs so like visits to to their gp or to other healthcare professionals mm -hmm. and then time spent out of their spent out of work as well so i think that shows that it's a very cost effective way to treat depression mm -hmm. um which is very important as well yeah it's it's so interesting and i think as time goes on it'll only become more prevalent in how mental health is treated as the norm um and also, Maria, there's been a lot of noise around the gut-brain axes in recent times and how the gut is considered like a second brain, which is so fascinating. What are your views on this? Yeah, um, so when we think about this relationship between diet and mental health, we think that at least in part, it's working through the gut. Um, mm -hmm. In our gut, uh, particularly in our large intestine, we have around one kg of bacteria. So it's the same weight actually as our human brain. Wow. And there, yeah. <laughs> so it really is um, the second brain. And what we know is that there's this powerful connection between the gut and the brain. So it's this bi-directional relationship. So the gut talks to the brain and the brain talks to the gut. And actually around 80 to 90% of these messages are going in the direction of the gut up to the brain. So all of this language around having a gut feeling or a gut instinct or being gutted, I think these are actually a lot more scientifically accurate than we ever realized yeah. um so around then along the lines of mental health there's a lot of evidence that somebody with an unhealthy balance of these gut microbes that this could play a role in their depressive symptoms and a lot of studies indicate that patients suffering with depression seem to have less diversity in their gut than normal healthy adults and I suppose this is important because when we do think about our gut microbes, we, we selectively grow them through what we eat. And when yeah. we eat well uh, and we have a diet that's particularly rich in fiber, they can flourish and then they do a number of things for us. But then if we're eating a diet that's um, high in processed foods, then these bacteria are served of, of what they want if the diet is very low in fiber. So I, what we're understanding now is these bacteria, they do a lot for our physical health, but also now for our mood and our behavior and our brain health. Yeah. And one of the ways that they do this would be through their metabolites. So when the fiber gets down to the large intestine and the bugs get to work to ferment it, they produce these short chain fatty acids and these play a role then in reducing inflammation in the body and helping improve immune function. And they affect virtually most cells in the body through what we call G protein coupled receptors. And these receptors then can influence how genes behave and they can have a positive impact on our mood. Um, and as well then the bacteria they help um, make neurotransmitters like serotonin, which we know better really as our happy hormone. Yeah. So it's actually, it's around 90% of our happy hormone that is made in the gut. So that just, that just shed some light on how important all of this is. Um, so I do think when we are thinking about our diets and our mood and our emotional well-being, it's important to be thinking about what is going on in our gut as well, really. Yeah, Definitely. Definitely. And it's mm -hmm. so fascinating where nutrition research is going now. It's just evolving so much. And I'd say we could have you back on the podcast in a year or two and there'll be <laughs> even more to talk about on it. It's just going to keep on growing and like it can only get better, really. 
Um, yeah, there's this new term now, actually. Uh, we've heard a lot about probiotics for many different things in the last few years, but yeah. there's psychobiotics now that there's a lot of research being being looked at. So these would be bacteria that would impact your mental health rather than your physical health. Yeah. God, that's interesting. Yeah, all the new terminology. <laughs> it's brilliant. Um, so Maria, we've spoken a lot about the role of nutrition in promoting a positive mood, but we also know that social interactions play a major role in our mental health at all ages. So from childhood through adulthood, right into older age as well. Um, and we know that you do a little bit of volunteering with alone. So would you mind giving us an insight into what exactly you do with alone and why it's so important? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I suppose, Amy, you've said it there, this meaningful social interaction and connection. It's so important for us all. And I think this year has really highlighted that to us. Um, I think we've all felt a little bit isolated from friends or family at some point over the last number of months. But thankfully for a lot of us, this lockdown will end. Um, But unfortunately for some people, the lockdown will end, but the loneliness won't. And the older population in particular, because we know that one in three older people live on their own, they are very vulnerable to this social isolation. So Alone then, um, I think we've all heard a lot about Alone this year. They're an Irish charity and they support older people to age in their own homes and they also help to alleviate loneliness. So I joined Alone around four years ago now um, and they offer a number of core services, but the one that I would be closest to is the befriending service. Mm -hmm. So to be a befriending volunteer for Alone, you are asked to visit an isolated older person for around one hour every week and to commit, if you can, for one year. Um, So I joined alone around, I think it was around four years ago now, and I was working in Conley Hospital at the time. And I thought, do you know, I have a lot of free time in the evenings because I'm no longer studying dietetics. Yeah. (laughs) So (laughs) popping out to somebody for one hour, one evening a week wouldn't really put me up or down. And I was always very aware of how little things like that could make a very big difference to an older person. So I signed up. Um, then you get Garda vetted and you do a volunteer training day with Alone and you fill out a form then that kind of uh, goes through your interests and your hobbies and then they pair you up with an older person. So I did that and then a couple of weeks later I got a phone call from somebody from Alone um, saying that they had somebody to pair me with. So then your first visit then is yourself, um, the older person and somebody from alone comes with you as well to introduce you at the very start. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very important to say that alone do a lot for the older people. But if you volunteer for alone, they also give a huge amount of support to their volunteers, which is fantastic. Yeah. So, yeah, I was very, very lucky and I got paired with the one and only Gladys Moore. And (laughs) she is honestly, she's one of my best friends. And I, yeah, I know her like, I think it's four years now and she's going to be 93 next year. Oh my God, that's fantastic. And she's, she's such a character, Amy, like everybody that meets her loves her. And (laughs) We've had such a great time. Like this year, it has been a lot more uh, virtual visits or window visits. But mm-hmm. bef- beforehand, I would go over usually on a Tuesday. We'd have a cup of tea, have a chat. Then we'd 
other times we'd go out to the cinema, we've gone for afternoon tea. Um, we were actually very fortunate that Alone asked us to do a lot of campaign work over the years for them. So we've been on Winning Streak on the television, oh, wow. on the radio. Jesus, <laughs> you're so famous. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. Um, but no, Gladys has a huge personality and anybody that meets her just falls in love with her straight away. So um, it's a fantastic thing to do and I never thought I would get so much out of it myself but Mm -hmm. they do they do say that volunteering is one of the best things that you can do for your own mental health as well yeah definitely alone they also um they do offer other support so they they do a phone call support as well so if you're not visiting the person in their home you can ring them every week for a chat instead okay that's lovely yeah because I know for some people it might be hard to to get that hour to go out um Mm -hmm. And then they also offer for the older people, they have support coordinators. So these are trained professionals that uh, they act as an advocate for the older person and they help them in coordinating things like social welfare, medical needs, financial needs. So there's a lot of services there that are available to the older to the older person. Oh, that's fantastic. Like the work that you're doing with Alone and Alone in general for the older people of Ireland, it's it's fantastic and really heartwarming. Um, yeah. For the listeners then, where could they find out a little bit more about Alone if, you know, if they want to just read up about certain aspects of it? Is it on a website online? Yeah, so they have their website www.alone.ie and I think the main thing is that if you do know any older person who may benefit from the service, um, mm-hmm. you you can make a referral. You don't need to be a healthcare professional. So if you go onto the website, um, you can. there's a make a referral tab at the top. So you can go onto that and you can refer your neighbour, um, a friend, obviously have the older person's consent or if yeah. you're an older person yourself, you can make a referral on your own behalf. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then if you are thinking about volunteering, you can go on to the website as well. So if you think you could spare an hour a week to to visit somebody or ring somebody, it's definitely worth doing. Yeah. Uh, I suppose one positive out of COVID is that um, alone have gotten a huge amount of attention this year. And for the first time ever, we've actually had to close recruitment for volunteers for a short period because we've had thousands of people sign up over the last number of months. So we need to get all of them trained up (laughs) first, (laughs) but they will be opening registration again in early 2021. So I would keep an eye out on the website for that. That's great. Thanks, Maria. And so good to hear that they actually have too many volunteers. Like that's, that's a really good news story in a year that was a bit crazy. Um, So Maria, we've we've almost come to the end of our little podcast here and it's just, it's been fantastic chatting to you. Before we finish up now, I'd just like to maybe do a little quick fire round of questions for fun. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> Great. So um, Maria, what would be your desert island dish? Oh, um, this is easy. It would <laughs> definitely, <laughs> it would have to be um, a Thai curry from like Dieppe or Sabah. Um, but it would have to be followed by dessert so like oh yeah a home-cooked apple pie or something like that <laughs> oh lovely two different sort of genres of food there but I like it I really like that <laughs> um you actually you said at the beginning about how you didn't really know how, like what you were going to do when you were in school and then did a little bit of research if you hadn't have been a dietitian and hadn't have been considering the nutrition sciences route where would you have gone had you other areas you were thinking of studying um 
God, I think in an ideal world, um, if I had been good enough, I would have loved to um, do something in sport, but be like the athlete. So I would just have to train for a living and pay me to do it. (laughs) That'd be lovely. You never know, Marie, it's never too late. (laughs) (laughs) And and one last one, Maria, what advice would you give to your student self? Um, I think it would be not to worry too much about the the theory because it is important. But I think as a dietitian, the most important thing is being able to build a rapport with your patients or your clients. Um, I think that that's so important and being able to communicate your advice in a way that they can relate to. I think that's what makes the great dietitian. Yeah, definitely. That that's really good advice. Hopefully, a few people will uh, get benefit out of hearing that now. Um, Maria, it's been so brilliant having you on the podcast. Thank you so much. I've learned loads myself, and I hope the listeners will as well about the link between food and mood. And I've been totally inspired after hearing about your volunteering work with Alone. Before we go, can you just let us all know where we can find out a little bit more about you? Yeah, so um, you can visit me. Um, I have a website, so it's www.marialucyrd.com or you can come and um, follow me on Instagram or Facebook at marialucyrd. Brilliant. Thanks so much, Maria. It's been a pleasure. Everyone, join us again soon on Connected by Nutrition. Take care. This is Connected by Nutrition, a podcast brought to you by Nutrition Ireland designed for healthcare professionals only.